Welcome back to Spoonful of Sugar. If you are interested in joining our student board, remember that we are accepting applications through December 15th. You can apply through www.spoonfulofsugar.org apply. We have four different committees. We're looking to fill both chair and member positions. And the students selected to be on this committee um, are going to be leaders in our next season of Spoonful of Sugar and actually help to produce the podcast next year. So it's certainly a very big responsibility, but also an excellent opportunity to connect with students nationally and internationally and to have a role in kind of transforming medical education for the future. So I do hope that you'll consider applying. Remember, applications are due December 15th and your responsibilities will start in the new year. So with that said, let me now introduce you to our host for today's episode, Bilal Rana, um, who will be reviewing the topic of personality disorders. Hope you enjoy. Hello, future doctors. You're tuning in to Spoonful of Sugar, the podcast made for med students by med students where we break down complex medical topics into bite-sized pieces for your success. I'm your host, Bilal Rana, an OMS3 at Western U, and today we are talking about a comparatively lighter topic for the step in complex, personality disorders. Alright, let's do a brief overview real quick. Personality disorders. What exactly are they? If you had to define personality disorders, what would you say? Okay, so there are quite a number of things we could define personality disorders with. The first and probably the most important is that a personality disorder is a rigid way of thinking that deviates from societal norms such that they impair functioning in one way, shape, or form. So in our episode of Mood Disorders, if you listen to that, I talked about what it means to be impaired in one's functioning. And I don't want anybody to overthink it. Essentially, it is when your day-to-day is affected in a negative fashion in some way, shape, or form. That's really all there is to it. Another thing with personality disorders is that they have a pervasive pattern of such behavior. In other words, it's not just a one-off. Typically, this sort of behavior has been going on for years, often beginning in early adulthood. And here's a test-taking pearl. Most personality disorder questions will have patients around their 20s to 30s. I'd say about 20% of them. Occasionally, you'll see older individuals, like in their 40s to 50s. What you will not see are personality disorders diagnosed in kids. And a pretty obvious reason for that is that the personalities of children vary widely year to year. They're still developing. Another trait to look out for in personality disorders is that they are egocentric. Now, what does it mean to be egocentric? So to be egocentric means that an action is in line with the person's beliefs. Here's an analogy. Imagine for a second you're playing a video game and you're playing a character that is a thief. Well, what does a thief do? They steal. It makes sense to steal. But if in that same video game you're playing a holy cleric, uh, stealing does not make as much sense. In the case of the thief, stealing is egocentric. It's in line with their beliefs. But in the case of the holy cleric, not so much. And what this means is that because these pervasive behaviors that impair functioning, because it's in line with their beliefs, they 
generally don't see their problem as if it's a problem. In psychiatry, we call this a lack of insight. Lastly, personality disorders occur in absence of other clearly identifiable causes like substance use. So for example, if somebody is having a really wild sort of behavior that's impairing their functioning, but then you notice that they have a very recent cocaine use, it's probably the cocaine and not their personality. You remember that one song from Ice Cube? The song Gangster Rap Made Me Do It. Okay, if you don't remember, I'll play a section. So, as you can see in this example, not a personality disorder. Ain't nothing to it. Gangster rap made him do it. I'm just kidding, obviously, right? Um, but you get the idea. If there is an identifiable cause, very clearly, usually substance use, not a personality disorder. Again, you're looking for that pervasive pattern over a rather long period of time. And with that, we move right along to the outline. We are going to be talking about 10 different personality disorders divided into clusters A, B, and C. For cluster A, we have schizoid, schizotypal, and paranoid. Cluster B, we have borderline, antisocial, histrionic, and narcissistic. And lastly, we have cluster C, avoidant, dependent, and obsessive-compulsive. As always, I'll be putting example scenarios at the end. Now, I'm not here to give you pinpoint DSM-5 levels of detail. Rather, I'm going to point you towards patterns you're going to see on the exam. Very few of these personality disorders will require knowledge about treatment, so this should be a pretty light episode. Let's begin with cluster A. Now, before I begin, uh, the way I was taught these personality disorders is that cluster A consists of the mad, cluster B, the bad, and cluster C, the sad. So we're going to begin with the mad, and the first one would be schizoid. What would you expect to see in a patient with schizoid personality disorder? Now, let's keep this very general, not trying to overcomplicate things. The biggest thing you're going to see is somebody who is voluntarily isolated. They are content being alone. Now, who cares? Why is this a problem? Why is something like schizoid a personality disorder? And really the problem here is that long term, this can lead to you know, decline in cognitive function and an inability to navigate life stressors because people with schizoid personality disorders are people who haven't properly made connections because they just like to be alone. This detail that I shared with you is not apparent on board questions. All you will have to do is recognize what somebody with schizoid personality disorder looks like. And honestly, this is best explained through example scenarios, and we'll go over those at the end. What I do want to mention now is that this is not social anxiety. Social anxiety is when people are worried of what others think about them. A person with schizoid personality disorder isn't fearful. They just want to be alone. Then we have schizotypal. What would you expect to see in a patient with schizotypal personality disorder? So pretty similar. I mean, you have somebody who's kind of voluntarily isolated, likes to kind of keep to themselves. But the difference is, is that they also have 
odd, eccentric, even magical thinking. And what does that look like? So some examples of this would be somebody who's wearing really dark, over-the-top hooded outfits in 100-degree weather, or for magical thinking, somebody who's always holding a spell book with them, you know, just in case. People who are, the way I look at it, unironically acting like RPG characters, kind of like that. So if you're familiar with gaming, you know what I'm talking about. And then we have paranoid personality disorder. We're going right through these. Again, there's not a whole lot of detail here. The detail comes in the example scenarios. What would you expect to see in somebody with paranoid personality disorder? Yeah, pretty self-explanatory stuff. I mean, it's in the name. It's somebody who's permanently suspicious. Now, where this gets confusing, however, is that paranoid personality disorder often gets mixed up with paranoid delusions. So recall real quick that delusions are fixed beliefs about something that has no evidence in favor of that belief. And that is usually seen in schizophrenia. Here, I'll give some examples here. So imagine you have a situation where somebody is receiving praise from somebody at work, but this person believes that the praise is disingenuous or that the praise is coming from somebody who's trying to make them look nice only to sweep the rug from under them. Compare that to somebody who receives praise from work only to believe that the person doing so is merely putting on a front for when they inevitably poison their food and slip roofies into their coffee. Notice that the first one, you know, probably a little bit more realistic, it's paranoid, whereas the second, I mean, that is a very distorted representation of reality. It's greatly disconnected. The latter would be an example of a paranoid delusion seen in schizophrenia, and the former would be an example of paranoid personality disorder, something more in line with reality. And just like that, we're moving on to cluster B, aka the bad. The first one we want to talk about is borderline personality disorder. So what kind of traits would you expect to see in somebody with BPD? Okay, some really key things to look out for. Drastic mood swings, unstable relationships, people who are highly impulsive and one way this manifests is in multiple suicide attempts. So recently I actually had a rotation in an inpatient psych unit. I had a patient, um, mid-20s, eight suicide attempts over the past 10 years, only one of which was an immediate life threat. And I actually talked to their significant other who said that the suicide attempts were mostly a cry for help and for seeking attention. And this is something that you see very frequently with folks with BPD. Uh, the same patient, funny enough, also exhibited a key defense mechanism that is seen in BPD. Now, what defense mechanism am I referring to? Splitting. And what is splitting? It's when you believe that something is either 100% good or 100% bad. An example of this would be saying that, oh, the doctor, oh, this doctor is the best. Meanwhile, the medical assistant, oh, that person spawned a Satan. Now, as with all things in life, Try not to take it too personally. You may run into patients with BPD. They may see things like this. Do not take it personally. Another thing you want to look out for is that people with BPD often have a history of childhood trauma. So that is another thing that you can look out for. If for some reason they're asking you risk factor questions on step one, that might be something you want to know. And very high yield. What is the treatment for borderline personality disorder? 
DBT, otherwise known as dialectical behavior therapy. Now, if you're curious what that is, essentially it teaches emotional regulation skills because people with borderline personality disorder, they often have emotional dysregulation as evidenced by the high impulsivity, unstable relationships, drastic mood swings, so on and so forth. Okay, and with that, we move on to antisocial personality disorder. Now, what would you expect to see in somebody with ASPD? So, real simply, the worst possible behavior. You know, we're talking criminal activity, you know, blatant manipulation, vandalism, a general disregard for the well-being of others. This has nothing to do with not wanting to socialize. That's schizoid. Just because it has antisocial has nothing to do with not wanting to socialize. I mean, you might have seen those, you know, Jack of the Antisocial Social Club. It's nothing to do with that, okay? Another thing to note is that antisocial personality disorder is very similar to conduct disorder, right? Except conduct disorder is essentially antisocial, but for kids. Note two, just as a curious note, conduct disorder isn't a personality disorder. Remember earlier I said that personality disorders aren't diagnosed in kids, their personalities change you know, year to year. This is evidence of that. And examiners do like to go after this relationships. Oftentimes when you see a question that's clearly pointing towards antisocial, one of the other options will be conduct disorder. That's for kids, okay? Conduct for kids. Then we have histrionic personality disorder. Now, what will we expect to see in histrionic personality disorder? I think the easiest two words would be attention-seeking. So you would see somebody who is overly extroverted, dramatic, and one other way that's often really commonly people know, um, hypersexual-like behavior. Now, when people look at histrionic personality disorder, they often think about the hypersexual behavior, but don't let that forget, don't let that make you forget the other two, because if you get a question and then the answer just happens to be histrionic personality disorder, but you don't see hypersexual behavior, that is still perfectly valid. The over, the overt extroversion, the dramatizations, I mean, this is characteristic of the attention-seeking that you see in histrionic personality disorder. And then last but certainly not least, the narcissistic personality disorder. What would you expect to see here? So a few things to look out for. I mean, as the name suggests, probably somebody who thinks they're better, but in more concise terms, somebody who is entitled, egocentric, grandiose, and has a general lack of empathy for others, but not to like antisocial levels. And I want to note, I want to stress, this is different from someone who just views themselves as the quote unquote best in any one particular thing. The narcissist is more concerned about being better, or for even a better word, superior. For example, if I said, I like to think I'm the best person for the job, okay, fine, you think you're the best person, that's cool. Versus, I know I'm better than all of you monkeys. You see, that was an exaggerated example, but it really highlights the point of superiority. I mean, I'm literally calling everybody else monkeys. And last but certainly not least, we have Cluster C, aka the SAD. We'll begin with talking about avoidant personality disorder. What would you expect to see here? 
So somebody with avoidant personality disorder is somebody who is socially isolated despite, and this is high yield, a desire of wanting to be social. This is different than schizoid personality disorder, which is somebody who is content with isolation. Another thing is that avoidant personality disorder often gets confused with social anxiety disorder in the same way that schizoid can get confused with social anxiety. So understand that in avoidant personality disorder, what you often find is that this person avoids pretty much all social situations, while social anxiety tends to be a little bit more selective. Another key difference to look out for is the ability to form relationships. People with social anxiety disorder, they can have relationships with other people. People with avoidant personality disorder, they have difficulty forming relationships in the first place. The thing is with social anxiety, they find that certain aspects of their relationships um, and their interactions can be troublesome. For example, let's say like they have good relationships with their coworkers, but then they're asked to give a presentation, then they're worried how they're gonna think about them. Okay, that would be social anxiety. Somebody with avoidant personality disorder may not even have those relationships with the coworkers in the first place. And the key again is to understand that people with avoidant personality disorder, just to reiterate this point, it's not they're not content with the isolation. They want to socialize, but for one reason or the other, and we'll see in an example what that looks like, they can't. And examiners will go after that point, the desire to socialize, but the inability to do so. This will be made very clear on the question stem. And then we have two more. We have dependent personality disorder. And what would you see there? Yeah, pretty much exactly what it sounds like. So you have somebody who is really exceedingly reliant. You know, they have a fear of abandonment, a willingness to overcompromise. You often see this in the context of relationships. Somebody who relies on their significant other for just about everything and without them, they can't really function. Uh, this is highly associated with low self-esteem, likely going to find that people with dependent personality disorders can find themselves in abusive relationships and often try to find ways to stay in those relationships. And then, lastly, we have OCPD. Now, what does OCPD stand for and what do you see here? So we have obsession right? That's the first part. So obsessive, and then we have the compulsion. So compulsive personality disorder. We have to break this down. So the obsession is the thought and the compulsion is the desire to act. And with OCPD, what you see is a person who's type A to the extreme. We're talking somebody who's spending a disproportionate amount of time on trivial tasks. And when I say trivial tasks, they tend to be less trivial than the ones you see in OCD. So in OCD, you see somebody who's often, you know, checking locks, washing their hands. In OCPD, you see somebody who's constantly organizing their calendar or proofreading their grammar for hours on end. Now recall personality disorders. Are they egosyntonic or egodystonic? They're egosyntonic, meaning it's in line with the person's way of thinking, so they don't really see it as too much of a problem, it's just who they are. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because OCPD gets confused with OCD, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, which is egodystonic. This is the person who is well aware that this is an issue, and it's causing them a lot of distress. And the OCD is where you really get those, you know, lock checking, you know, hand cleaning, some, some of the more... Uh, less practical stuff. 
Okay, now if you had to guess, what is the treatment for OCPD? CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Let's not overthink it. Obsession is a thought, compulsion is a desire to act, so you have your thoughts, aka your cognition, your compulsions, aka your behavior. And what is CBT but essentially a way for the therapist and the patient to best assess the relationship between one's thoughts and one's actions? CBT. There you go. And just like that, a lot quicker than three of my previous episodes, we are moving right along to these scenarios. And we're going to cover these personality disorders in no particular order. I will also ask what clusters these belong to. That part isn't high yield, but it may show up on your boards or even your in-house exams, so it's best to leave no stone unturned and be thorough with these questions. Let's begin with question number one. A 41-year-old man presents to your primary care office with a swollen elbow. He blames his dog, reporting that his eyes are sending, quote, negative energy waves causing me to lose my balance every time he barks, unquote. Medical history is significant for type 1 diabetes and three episodes of vasovagal syncope. Despite the rainy weather, he is dressed in a bright orange suit with a gray top hat. What's the diagnosis here? So this would be schizotypal personality disorder. You could see somebody who's clearly odd wearing clothes that are not fitting in the situation, having odd thinking, like the negative energy waves coming from the dog's eyes every time they bark. I mean, this is this is pretty out there sort of stuff. Now, I also mentioned in the question stem the diabetes and the vasovagal syncope. I know that is totally and completely unrelated, but for those of you who are unfamiliar with my past episodes, I sometimes put in filler information in the question stem, not because I'm mean, but because board examiners will also do this. So you're just going to have to know how to filter through a bunch of information. Their question stems are going to be a lot longer, a lot more convoluted than this. Here, we're just here to learn. We're just here to warm up. Don't be discouraged if you get these wrong. And next question, uh, what cluster does this belong to? Cluster A. Good job. Moving on to question number two, a 52-year-old woman presents to your primary care office for pain medication refills. She is extremely angry that she couldn't simply get a refill prescribed automatically, saying, quote, these heathens should know who I am. They shouldn't be treating me like these commoner patients, unquote. So what is the diagnosis here? So it's a pretty short question stem. I know your real question stems are going to be a lot longer. This one was narcissistic personality disorder. Again, I gave an exaggerated example, but again, I want to emphasize the element of superiority. She was talking about, oh, here these are commoner patients. They have to go through the regular process. I should just get my refills automatically. And this also demonstrates a lack of empathy for other patients. I mean, that's she thinks she's a higher status, that she's immune to all the rules. Sorry, honey, life doesn't work that way. And what cluster does narcissistic personality disorder belong to? Cluster B. All right, good job. Okay, number three, a 27-year-old woman presents to your office with intermittent feelings of anxiety. She states that she broke up with her long-term boyfriend about a month ago and has since been feeling incredibly tense and worried about, quote, everything, unquote. 
She mentions that her boyfriend used to take care of her day-to-day -day chores as well as help her find jobs and make friends, but since he left, this has become nearly impossible for her. What's the diagnosis here? So this would be dependent personality disorder. Note here that this patient has difficulty making friends and that might make you think, okay, well, this might be avoidant. But again, the more clear cause here, the more direct cause was her dependence of her long-term boyfriend. And this anxiety, it's not a primary social anxiety as much as it is a chronic worry of not having a support system. So this is more of a secondary social anxiety of sorts. And also this happened a month ago. So if you were to see a question like this on your UWorld or your tests, you might get adjustment disorder as one of your answer choices. But you can see here that she is clearly dependent on her boyfriend and everything fell apart since he left because what, he, what did he do? He took care of her chores. He took, essentially helped her find a job and make friends. She, he was really carrying her through the relationship, essentially. So that's something you got to look for when you're looking at dependent personality disorder as opposed to whatever the heck else is going to be on the multiple choice options. And which cluster does this belong to? Right, this would be a cluster C. And number four, a 20-year-old man presents to his university psychiatrist upon insistence by his two roommates. He states, I'm doing really well in my physics classes, but my roommates think it's a problem that I don't have friends, and quite frankly, I don't care. Apart from this, his responses were largely brief and his affect is flat. What is the diagnosis here? So the diagnosis here would be schizoid personality disorder. I realize I forgot the quote unquote, who cares? Um, point being, this person is content with loneliness. Note too the egocentric behavior. Although he is content, he really lacks insight as to why this is even a problem, hence why his roommates are the one insisting that he come through to the appointment rather than him going himself. So this is a another thing that you may see on exams is that the patient is brought by another person, unless they're here for another medical complaint. Now, a little bit more of an advanced question. What other disorders, personality disorders specifically, are in the same cluster as schizoid personality disorder? So we know this is a cluster A, so other personality disorders in this category would be schizotypal personality disorder as well as paranoid personality disorder. Closing in on the halfway point, we have question number five. A 24-year-old man presents to your office for a follow-up on his hyperlipidemia. He goes on to describe a general feeling of dissatisfaction with life, citing a, quote, lack of social network, unquote. When asked about his social circumstances surrounding his friends, groups, co-workers, etc., and so on, he states, quote, I don't think anyone wants to associate with an oddball like myself, unquote. So what's the diagnosis here? So this would be an example of avoidant personality disorder. Note here the quote-unquote oddball comment, as well as his feelings of discontent. Clearly, he wants to socialize, but can't. In this case, it's his feelings of, you know, inadequacy to some degree, his feeling that, oh, he's an oddball, he doesn't belong. That's what's preventing him from socializing. Other reasons could include a fear of rejection, you know, sensitivity to criticism. But regardless of the reason, the general feeling of discontent is what really makes it obvious. And what cluster does this fall into? Cluster C, nice. 
Question number six. A 33-year-old PhD student comes to her primary care physician for feelings of anxiety. She states that she is worried about her upcoming research grant deadlines, poster presentations, and still has to grade many assignments for the chemistry class she acts as a TA for. When asked about her work and study methods, she explains that she meticulously rechecks her posters for wording and data analysis errors for hours on end, insisting that she must do so in order to land a job at a prestigious national lab. Moreover, she also spends nearly quadruple the time as her fellow TAs in preparation for her classes, so she can prove that she is most deserving of the TA of the Year award. What is the diagnosis here? So this would be an example of OCPD. And note here the constant need to check and recheck her work, and she thinks that she really needs to do it to you know get that job at a national lab, to get that TA award, right? There's a, there's a clear objective here. It's in line with her beliefs, but clearly it's holding her back, and that's what's causing her anxiety. Note two, she wants to be the best, but she's not ha she's not acting high or mighty in any way. She doesn't see herself as superior to other people. She she never even mentions that. So that would rule out the narcissistic personality disorder. And with OCPD, what cluster are we looking at? Cluster C. All right. Number seven. A 62-year-old man comes to the primary care physician with his wife for follow-up on BPH. He no longer reports difficulty urinating and states that he is quote-unquote symptom-free. His wife, however, notices that her husband has been having increasing difficulty finding the right words to speak and occasionally forgets to buy certain grocery items despite being handed a list beforehand. He angrily responds that, quote, This is just a part of aging. I don't want doctors trying to make money off of me through medications that I don't need, unquote. His wife mentions that receiving any type of care for her husband has always been difficult for the past 13 years because he believes that there is always an ulterior motive behind people's deeds. So what is the diagnosis here? So this would be paranoid personality disorder. So I kind of gave it away with the last statement, the constant belief that there's an ulterior motive. Again, not too far from reality, at least not distorted to the level of paranoid delusions like schizophrenia. And notice too that it's been happening for 13 years. So that's that pervasive pattern that you can look for. And what cluster does this fall into? So we kind of mentioned it in an earlier question already, but this is, would be a cluster A diagnosis. All right, three more questions and we are done. We are now on question number eight. A 58-year-old woman presents to the pain management clinic with left knee pain. She has tried physical therapy and naproxen for the past three months with little to no results. She describes her symptoms with immense detail, whilst limping around the room to demonstrate occasionally flailing her arms in the air when talking about how much pain she is in and is obviously upset at people not believing her. A mental status exam demonstrates loud speech with labile effect. What is the diagnosis here? So this would be histrionic personality disorder. Note the exaggerations, the theatrics. Notice how she's demonstrating her symptoms, trying to walk around and show you how much pain she's in and her arm motions. I also mentioned the word labile and the term labile effect. What does labile mean? So it means quick to change. So this is somebody within the span of a conversation who goes from really happy to sad to angry. You know, their emotions are quite, um, fluctuate quite a bit. So this is another thing that you can see in somebody with histrionic personality disorder. And again, note here, I 
didn't put anything sexual in the question. If I did, perhaps the woman would be, oh, I don't know, maybe she would be wearing revealing clothing and be excessively flirtatious, perhaps even with the end goal of being prescribed opiates. Who knows? But I didn't put that in this question. This is still histrionic personality disorder. And what cluster does this fall into? Cluster B. Almost there, we're on number 9. A 22-year-old man presents to the emergency department with significant bruising after getting into a fight at a college campus after a heated discussion with some flat earthers. He says, quote, Next time I see a flat earther, it's on site on my dead homies, unquote. He recreationally uses cocaine and recently began experimenting with LSD. Further discussion reveals that this patient would regularly get into fights in middle school and high school. What is the diagnosis here? So this is your example of antisocial personality disorders. In this case, this person's constantly taking fights with people, doesn't have remorse. You see a childhood history of violence, and you even see drug use. So that's some of those reckless characteristics that you see with antisocial personality disorder. And you can tell when this person getting into fights in middle school and high school, you could imply there that they may have had a diagnosis of conduct disorder in their younger years. Now, here's a multiple choice question. Is schizoid, narcissistic, or avoidant in the same cluster as antisocial? Which of the three are in the same cluster? So narcissistic personality disorder would be in the same cluster as antisocial personality disorder. And what other personality disorders would fall in that cluster? Borderline and histrionic. And which cluster is this again? Cluster B. All right. And finally, we are at question number 10. A 28-year-old woman brought to the emergency department by her husband due to suicidal ideation. He found her in the bathroom with a knife to her neck ready to quote-unquote end it all. The husband mentions that they had a minor argument about dinner that quote-unquote got blown way out of proportion. Past medical history reveals five prior suicide attempts. Within a few minutes, she calms down and thanks her boyfriend profusely for looking after her. My question to you is, what would you expect to see in this patient's past history? Okay, sorry if that question is a little vague. You would expect to see a history of childhood trauma. And what diagnosis is this? Borderline personality disorder. What cluster? Cluster B. A small clinical pearl here. Uh, borderline personality disorder is most often seen in women, so that's a demographic detail that you might want to look out for. And how would you treat this? So this is very high yield. We haven't talked about too many treatments. I know I mentioned it earlier, but dialectical behavior therapy. For some reason, they really like to ask this question, so I just thought I'd mention it here. Okay, and real quick, rapid review. Personality disorders, these are rigid ways of thinking with a pervasive pattern, aka they happen for a long time, they're egocentonic, and they're in the absence of other clearly identifiable causes. For cluster A, we have schizoid, which is voluntary isolation, schizotypal, which is the same thing with odd, eccentric, or magical th thinking, and paranoid, which is permanently suspicious. Cluster B, we have borderline personality disorder, which has drastic mood swings, unstable relationships, and high levels of impulsivity. Defense mechanisms here are splitting, and you want to look for a history of childhood trauma. Treatment would be DBT, very high yield, dialectical behavior therapy. 
We have antisocial personality disorder, which is the worst possible behavior you can imagine, similar to conduct disorder, except that's for kids. Remember, conduct for kids. Histrionic, think attention-seeking. Narcissistic, think entitled, egocentric. Keyword, superior. And then we have cluster C. We have avoidant, socially isolated, despite a desire of wanting to be social. Again, very high yield. Dependent, exactly what it sounds like. And OCPD, remember that we have an obsession, a thought, a compulsion, a desire to act, like type A to the extreme. Recall that it's egocentonic, again, because this is a personality disorder. And the treatment for this is CBT. And just like that, we are finished. Thank you for tuning in to Spoonful of Sugar. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the link for this episode. I also have plans to make episodes about the schizophrenia spectrum, different types of psychotherapy, and possibly an episode on ego defense mechanisms, so be on the lookout for those. Good luck with studying, and remember that if you ever have an SOS moment while studying, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down. Good luck, everyone, and take care. <laughs>